chapter 6. Now, what we find in Mark chapter 6, we also find um, an account of in Luke's gospel. And aren't you thankful that we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four firsthand uh, eyewitness uh, testimonies and experiences of Jesus' life, ministry, and teaching uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, there are certain things that, you know, the, the different gospel writers, uh, you know, revealed about things that maybe the others did not. And so when you study these things from the different perspectives, we get a, you know, a fuller picture, if you will, of, of these events. And so from Mark 6, it says, Then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Notice, and we pointed this out, there's an exclamation point at the end of verse 2. They're not asking they're like exclaiming. In other words, it's, it's become obvious that, that there's something about Jesus that they had not uh, realized uh, in his uh, growing up among them. Verse 3, Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. There's something a little further down in my notes. Um, let's talk about it now before we go any further. When they first encountered Jesus, uh, remember now, he grew up there among them. He's turned 30. He's, you know, began his earthly ministry. He's been empowered by the Holy Spirit. And all these miracles and signs and wonders that he's performed in other places, now he comes home, and the reception is much different when he comes home. And when he first speaks, as his custom was, uh, reading from Isaiah, sitting in the chair reserved for the Messiah, uh, declaring to the people present that everything necessary for these miracles to take place now among you has been fulfilled. Um, when he did that in his hometown, home synagogue of, of Nazareth, the, the, the people noticed initially were like, wow, you know, what wisdom is this? You know, this is, this is astonishing. Um, but then we see verse 3, they start reasoning is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, which was a slight, not mentioning Joseph, and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and are, his, and are not his sisters here with us? So their reasoning led them to an offense. In other words, let me say it this way. The longer they thought about this, the more offended they became. The longer they thought about it. Have you, have you, have you ever said, man, the more I thought about that, the better I got, you know? Well, you're probably thinking about the wrong thing then. Okay, you're probably focusing on dwelling on the wrong thing. Now, here's, here's the point. These verses are about a lot of things, but if they're about anything, they're about honor. And that's the subject that we've been studying now for some weeks. They're about honor. And one thing, write this down. Honor uh, leans in to Jesus, okay? Honor leans in. What do, we, what do we mean by that? Well, you can tell by how these people were reasoning and thinking that they were not leaning in, they were leaning out. In other words, they had, they had taken a position that said, well, we've heard, but Jesus, you're going to have to... They were skeptical. In other words, Jesus, you're going to have to convince us. You're, you're going to have to prove it to us. All right, so maybe we'll talk more about that um, a little bit later. Now, verse 5. Now, he could do no mighty works there, no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. 
And he marveled because of their unbelief that he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. Now, later in the epistles, we see that the record of Scripture, or if we wanted to get, you know, real official with it, the canon of Scripture, all of it was recorded, inspired by God, but all of it was recorded for our benefit. This, this, this account is not just so that we can look at these people and, and pass judgment on them or look down on them for not having more respect for Jesus. This account was preserved and recorded and now presented, made available to you and me so that we can learn from this and hopefully not make some of the same mistakes that these people made. And we see that they made a mistake that prevented Jesus from being able to do any mighty work among them. And if they made a mistake that tied his hands, we want to understand what that mistake is and make sure we do not make it ourselves. Can I get a hearty amen on that one? In other words, we don't, we don't want to repeat the same uh, mistake that these people uh, made. Now, they were, as we see, and I'll just kind of run through this rather quickly, they were stuck in a stalemate. The attitude of their heart towards Jesus made it impossible for Jesus to help them. And all the while they're thinking, if he really is all that he claims to be, he'll do great miracles among us and prove it. So rather than leaning into Jesus, and in Acts the 20th chapter, let me, in Acts the 20th chapter, we see that there was a young man named Eutychus. And the Bible says he was sitting in a window listening to the Apostle Paul preach and teach. And the Apostle Paul, uh, it, was, it was nothing for them to have multiple, many hours uh, of teaching in a row. And it was, I think, past midnight or around midnight. And Eutychus fell asleep in the window and he fell out backwards, I think two or three floors, and hit the ground and died. Now, I heard Tim Dean first uh, present this in a Bible study and I thought it was it's so brilliant, right? If Eutychus had been leaning in when he fell asleep, all that would have happened was he'd embarrassed himself and fell in the floor, okay? But he was leaning out. He was leaning away from what God was doing instead of leaning into what God was doing. And when he fell asleep, it was, of course, we know the Apostle Paul went down and raised him from the dead. So the position of your heart, the attitude of your heart is one that's either leaning into what God has and, and, and says and is wanting to do in your life or it's leaning away from it, wanting God to prove something to you and convince you before you'll ever stop being so skeptical and start being receptive to what it is that he desires to do. And so the people were skeptical, and they were wanting Jesus to prove himself to them. And so when no great miracles were performed, they pointed to the absence of the miracles as proof for what they suspected all along. And that is, he's only Mary's son. They never considered that the uh, absence of miracles was, was because of a problem on their end. Amen. And, and listen, it, I hope you understand what I'm saying this morning, but this, this is a, a similar stalemate to where so many in the church uh, find themselves today. Um, we, we, you know, you even got some denominations that are saying God doesn't do miracles anymore. That, that, that the age of miracles is past, that, that it ended with the apostles, and so, and so forth and so on. So notice now, that they're leaning out, they're leaning away from these things, and the attitude of their heart is, you know, well, God's going to have to prove it to me before I believe it. Well, faith doesn't say, I'll believe it when I see it. Faith believes it and then sees it. Do you see the difference in, in uh, the attitude? And so these folks are sitting there going, Jesus, you're going to have to do some mighty work among us before we honor you 
as, as anything more than Mary's son. Well, their refusal to honor him was preventing him from doing the very things that they were expecting him to do in order to prove to them that he was more than Mary's son. Now, from all that, we said this last week, and it bears repeating again this week, any thought involving God won't or hasn't yet is leading you away from your miracle. Any thought involving God won't or hasn't yet is leading you away from your miracle. Now, these people were clearly wrong about Jesus, but their lack of honor for Him prevented them from receiving correction from Him. Do you see this? Amen. So, let me, let me try to jump ahead here now. Um, honor, then, is a deliberate and intentional act. Or, let me say it another way, we honor on purpose. Do you understand the difference between accidentally doing something and doing it on purpose? There's no such thing as accidentally honoring someone. There's no such thing as accidentally honoring God. Honor is something that involves a deliberate and intentional act on our part. We honor on purpose. Now, let me, three last things um, from uh, last week, and then we'll segue into where we're going to be this week. We said last week, since none of us have arrived, we all need correction. And you will only receive correction from someone you honor. Who will you listen to when you are wrong and don't know it? Who will you listen to and when you're wrong and you don't know it? The, the Word of God clearly tells us to submit ourselves to those who are over us in the Lord. And, and these are people that we ought to be able to name. Getting kind of quiet in here, right? Honor those who are over us in the Lord. Do you realize how many of God's children are like, ain't nobody over me in the Lord? The Lord's over me, but ain't nobody else over me. See, again, honor those, right? We receive correction from those. Listen, how many times when, when God is wanting to bring understanding and wisdom that would bring correction into our lives, does he bring it through another person? Sometimes he'll even bring it through children. Amen. Out of the mouths of babes. So who do you have in your life that you'll listen to when you're wrong and do not know it? Now, Mark chapter 4 says Jesus marveled at their unbelief. But the complete answer is unbelief due to a lack of honor. Unbelief due to a lack of honor. They were offended at the attitude, I'm sorry, they were offended and the attitude of their hearts could be summed up with who does he think he is? Who does he think he is? Now go with me to Luke, the fourth chapter. Matthew, Mark, Luke, chapter 4. Praise God. Luke, the fourth chapter. And um, there are some things here I want us to get into this morning. I believe the Holy Spirit's leading us to get into these things. And it's going to help us. Amen? Are you expecting to be helped by the Word today? Are you expecting to be helped by um, the Holy Spirit today? Amen. Are you expecting more than you can produce on your own today, amen, more than you can figure out uh, with your own intelligence, your own, uh, you know, uh, smarts and, 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 and what have you, okay. Um, so we have this uh, account of when Jesus comes to his hometown in Nazareth, and this is Luke's account of it, and he's already, you know, read the, uh, the verses from Isaiah, and he's already s seated in the chair, and they've already 
you know, went through their whole reasoning, rationalization process, and once again come to the conclusion that he is, in this case, they say Joseph's son. And in other words, he's no different than us. He's no better than us. If anything, um, we're better than him because we're not sure even about his paternity, right? Uh, because we know that Mary got pregnant with him before uh, she was married to Joseph. In other words, um, if they don't think we can count to nine, are you see what I'm saying? In other words, they knew when they were married and they knew when she had the baby and it's like, you know, amen, all right. So notice um, what Jesus says here in Luke chapter 4, verse 23. He said to them, you will surely say this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Then he said, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except Zarephath, except to Zarephath rather, in the region of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. Now, if, if we took the time to keep reading, you would see that these words infuriated these people. It literally sent them into a murderous rage. They were offended. And sometimes, you know, we, we read Mark's account of this, and they were offended at Jesus. And, you know, we think they were sitting there kind of, you know, like with their uh, mint-flavored iced tea and one pinky up in the air, offended at him. No, no, this, this, they turned into a mob who tried to kill him, okay? And they tried to kill him because obviously how all this unfolded, but for more than any other reason that he dared to say to them what he said to them here in Luke chapter 4, in that he pointed out what was truth, what was contained in the Bible that they had and had access to, the Old Testament, and what we see in the Old Testament is what we find right here, that you know there was this great famine, three years, six months, no rain, it was rough, people, I'm telling you, it was, it was bad, it was serious, okay? And there was a prophet during those days, Elijah, but no widow in Israel received help, but a non-Jewish widow in the region of Sidon um, received help from God through the prophet, and the same with, with Naaman. Naaman was not an Israelite either, he was a Syrian, and Jesus points out that there were a whole lot of people in the days of Elisha in Israel who had leprosy, but none of them received a miracle of cleansing of leprosy. Um, but Elisha, except for Elisha, and I'm sorry, except for Naaman, uh, Elisha, uh, you know, spoke words to him that brought healing to him. Okay, and so when when Jesus points this out, it I mean he hit a nerve. Come on now, he hit a nerve. Now, how many of you know Jesus wasn't just trying to yan yan with these people? Do you understand yan yan? In other words, it wasn't like it wasn't like Jesus was offended at them. That's sometimes how I think we look at this because we look at this, this things from a carnal perspective. 
It's like, oh, really? You're not going to accept me? Well, let me just blast you right with, you know. No, that's not what he was doing. We see in Mark's gospel that Jesus' answer to the stalemate was to try and teach the people. And since their problem was unbelief due to a lack of honor, what do you think Jesus went about in a circuit teaching? In other words, I believe what we have in Luke's gospel is a preview of the things that Jesus was going to try and teach and explain to the people to bring correction to their lack of honor problem which was producing an unbelief problem in their lives. Are you seeing this? Okay, now. We need to take a closer look at these two individuals, these two case studies, if you will. And they're case studies in honor. The case study I'm talking about is the, is the uh, widow that Elijah was sent to and Naaman, the Syrian, who received cleansing from his leprosy. Let me go back to something I've said already. Okay, This, this is not just for the people in Jesus' day to learn from. Because Jesus said it, because Jesus used these two uh, individuals, this widow and this, uh, and this Syrian military officer named Naaman, because Jesus brought them up within the context of his earthly life and ministry, we see that he's not just pointing these two cases out for the men and women that were listening to Jesus physically that day, but he's pointing these cases out for you and me to look into. Are you hearing me? Do you believe there's value in learning from the widow in Sidon and from Naaman the Syrian? Do you think there's something that we can glean from from these accounts? Absolutely, or else Jesus would not have brought them up. So, we need to take a closer look at these two individuals, but before we do that, let's make sure we understand what Jesus is saying to us by referencing them. What is he trying to get across to you and me by referencing these two people? We've already established that Jesus is not just trying to jab back at them. Jesus is not just... And aren't you glad that Jesus wasn't afraid to say something, even if it was going to upset the people, right? In other words, it is upsetting that people are not receiving the help that Jesus paid such a high price for them to receive. It's troubling, and, and, and it, should, it should, right? And so, so, anyway, um, Luke chapter 4, let's go back to this one verse, verse 24. Then he said, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. Now, Mark's account records Jesus saying it this way, The only place a prophet is dishonored, or without honor, so without honor means to be dishonored. The only place a prophet is dishonored is in his his home country and among his own people. But Luke recorded it a little bit different. Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. Now, this word accepted means probably what you think it means. It means well-liked or properly valued well-liked or properly valued. It speaks of a favorable decision of the will. A favorable decision of the will. Meaning what? It's a choice. Who chooses how you honor God? You, You choose that. Who chooses how you honor the people that God has sent to serve you and to minister to you and help you? Again, you you choose that. It, 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 it's up to you. But now watch this. Let's go back to 
depending upon which direction you're leaning. Depending upon which direction you're leaning. What, let, me, let me see. I think you've got this, but let me make sure you've got this because this is too important to leave to chance, okay? There will always be something for you to be thankful for and there will always be something for you to complain about. Whether you're a complainer or a thanker, right? Thankful depends on which direction you're leaning. Are you looking for something to complain about or are you looking for something to be thankful for? Amen? Do you lean towards the past and the mistakes of the past or do you lean towards the future and the promise for a better future? Right? Which direction are you leaning, positive or negative? We've been talking a lot about expectation on Wednesday nights. What are, what are you expecting? Can I tell you what most people are expecting? Most people are expecting more of what they've experienced in the past. And when we allow what determines our experience to shape our experience and our expectations, right? Let me say that another way. When we allow our experience to, sh- to shape what determines our experience, which is our expectation, it creates this vicious feedback. We, as children of God, have been given a lively hope, an expectation for something better in the future than what we have had in the past. We don't just say good things coming around here because it's some tradition or ritual that we go through. Hebrews 9.11 says that Jesus is the high priest of good things to come in your life. Hope or expectation without any basis is only wishful thinking. I'm expecting better today than I had yesterday because Jesus is my high priest. I'm, so can you, you see then which, which direction I'm leaning? So it speaks of a favorable decision of the will. Because of the direction that these people were leaning, they, they did not have a favorable opinion of Jesus. And as we've said before, what happened on this particular afternoon exposed some long-held but perhaps unspoken opinions of him. Things that they said and thought behind closed doors but never said openly. Questioning his uh, conception, questioning his paternity. Who even knows if Joseph was his daddy? She got pregnant before she married him, blah, blah, blah. You know how people talk. Surely nobody around here, but you know how people talk. So Jesus is saying the only place a prophet is dishonored is in his home country. Accepted means well, like, or properly valued. It speaks of a favorable decision of the will. And so what is Jesus in essence saying here? He's saying that these people do not really like him, and they certainly are not properly valuing him, and they do not have a favorable opinion of him, and that's based upon a choice they've made. This, this, is, this is their own doing. But what they don't understand is that the choice that they've made to not really like him that well and to not really uh, value him properly, what they don't understand is, is that attitude of their heart, their, their, their dishonor of him, is what's preventing him from doing in their lives what God wants to do in their lives. Are you seeing this? 
And, he, and why is he pointing this out? So we can judge these people? So we can look down on these people and, and, and you know, naughty, naughty people? No, he's, he's pointing this out for you and me so that we don't make the same mistakes. Now, another thing. By Jesus bringing this up in the New Testament, it means what I think we probably already figured out, but it certainly means and gives credence to that honoring God and giving Him place in our lives is just as important in the New Testament as it was in the Old. Now, when Jesus speaks, can you put your thinking helmet on with me for a few minutes? Let the Holy Spirit help us. Praise God. When Jesus speaks of all the starving widows in Israel during the Great Famine, what, what is the context? In other words, why is he bringing this up? What is the point that he's trying to make? What is going on in, in these people's hearts and minds that Jesus is trying to bring to the surface and correct? When, when he brings up all the widows who starved to death in Israel when it didn't rain for three and a half years, what, what, why is he talking about this? Why is, is he, especially something that has the potential to be so inflammatory, well, the context, again, is honor. The context is a willingness to value and accept the person God sends to help you. The context is how honor or a lack of it determines whether or not God is able to help you. So let's try to break this down even further, okay? Why wasn't Elijah sent to help any of the Israelite widows? Why was he sent to a non-Jewish widow instead? The, an- the answer is pretty obvious, given the context. During that time of hardship and chaos, the only widow God could find to honor his prophet was a widow in Sidon. Can we just get plain about it? He couldn't find an Israelite widow. Not a single one. Not a single one. Now, there are some things that we may spend some time developing later, but let me just bring back up on the table where all of this started now some two years ago, where we're talking about learning to trust God. And, and the highest form of, of honoring God is, is trusting God. And Jesus makes it clear in Matthew 24 that what we're seeing in the world around us is labor pains, and as labor progresses, the, the labor pains or the contractions become more frequent and more intense. So natural disasters, wars, rumors of wars, um, ethnic group rising up against other ethnic groups, all, all of these things that Jesus said, he said they're birth pains, and he said that these things must be, must be. Now, why am I pointing all this out? I would imagine I would imagine that God could have found a widow or two in Israel who would have honored his prophet in days of plenty. I would imagine he could have found a widow who would have a, 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 a pone of cornbread from the south, right? Who, who would have had a, a, a cast iron skillet full of cornbread for the prophet um, when the cupboards were full? But the cupboards aren't full anymore. 
The cupboards aren't full anymore. So now watch this. When the cupboards aren't full anymore, do we need God's help in our lives more or less? Do we need His supernatural provision in our lives more or less? Obviously, we need Him always, and I'm, I've made that point already. But I'm trying to show you that, that what, what, what happens with so many people is, you know, when inflation goes up and recession starts moving in, is that people start pulling back from honoring God. It wasn't just that God couldn't find a a, a widow in Israel to honor his prophet. He couldn't find one to honor his prophet during a famine. And this was when widows needed God's ability working in their lives more than ever. But they chose to keep it close to the vest. And we'll get back to honoring God when times are better. Amen or oh me. Now, it's so easy to speak of the mysterious will of God. It's so easy to talk about how you never know what God will do. And only God knows why he chose to help this woman while so many others were suffering and starving. But according to Jesus, the difference boiled down to one thing and one thing only. Honor. It's very easy to read this and think, man, lucky lucky that woman, lucky, got everybody else starving to death, but not her, man. She must have hit the spiritual lottery. I see, you never know what God will do. Man, just, God just chose her randomly. He just picked her name out of the hat. No, absolutely not, no. There was something that she possessed in her heart that attracted God to her and God's prophet to her. It was an honor in her heart for him. God supernaturally provided for this woman because of the honor that she had in her heart for God's prophet. An honor that was glaringly and obviously missing from every other widow in Israel during this time. Now, listen, there's there's a lot of stuff here for us to look at and talk about, but I'm telling you, I'm passionate about this. The, The Lord is breathing on this right now for us. He's speaking to us right now, and I want you to hear His voice. Remember, He can't help you if He can't communicate with you. And He's trying to show you something that's very, very important. And it's so easy for religion to just write this up as just one of those random acts that we'll never understand why God chose her and, and didn't choose anybody else and why He did this for her. And Jesus told us, Jesus is telling us right now, it may have been a mystery up until Jesus said this right here, but since Jesus Jesus said this right here, it is no longer a mystery. That woman who was a non-Jewish, a non-Israelite widow uh, living in a, in a really what would be considered an enemy country to the Jewish nation, God sent his prophet to her to help her. Why did he do it? Because she honored him when nobody else would. Nobody else would. Are you seeing this? This is important. Because he'll do the same for you. He'll do the same for me. I heard Brother Keith Moore talking about this the other day. I've heard him say it a few times. And it just bears repeating. Never know what God will do. Just how many people say that and think it's a Bible verse? How would, how would you feel if your family said, you know, you just never know whether he's going to show up or not? I mean, hey, you know, there's no need to keep, the, to keep the food warm. I mean, he may be here, he may not. She may show up, she may not. 
you never know what she is that a compliment well i mean you know she she may have an appointment but she's just as liable to go do something else forget about it and and never show up see that that's not a compliment and how dare we say that about god when his faithfulness is is beyond questioning See, that's the attitude that people, well, you never know about God, never know what God will do. Wrong, wrong, wrong. That's right, sister, read his word. He's told you what he'll do. And he's told you how he works. And he's told you that he honors those who honor him. Amen. So the widow in Sidon honored God while all others did not. Now, when we say this is a case study in honor, and it's obviously going to take us another session or two together to really I think, do this, give this the right amount of time that it needs. But um, let me just tell you before we go any further. Uh, anybody remember us talking about respect? And we used two words. The Lord really inspired two words, preference and deference. Remember that? Anybody remember those, those messages? We see both of these in, in, in this lady's life. We, we see her deferring to and, and giving preference to um, God's man, the, the, the prophet. We see honor here. We see trust here. We see putting God first here. We see something that, that we haven't looked at yet. If we have a minute or two, we'll look at it this morning. We've mentioned it a time or two. That the Bible tells us to honor God with our substance. We see her honoring God substantially. We see both philo and agape in this situation, right? Now, if you understand, I tell you, well, let me, let's just jump into this. First Kings 17, First Kings 17. You got just a couple more minutes? 1 Kings chapter 17. Oh, thank you, Father, for recording this and making sure we had access to it. If you, if you understand the story, if, you, if you're familiar with it, and we mentioned it last week, Elijah sticks and asks this woman to make him a cake first. But there's only enough meal and oil to make one cake. And he's fixing to ask for the cake first. So let's just talk about Philo and Agape for a moment, okay? How easy would it have been for her to say, look, Elijah, you know I love you, but you're not getting my last cake. See? You know I love you, but you ain't, you ain't getting me and my boy's last meal. You, you, go, you go find you some food somewhere else. See, that would have been philo without agape, right? Agape is duty, responsibility, faithfulness, back to this act or choice of the will. All right, let's look at it. First, First Kings 17, 9, God speaks to Elijah, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. 
And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and he said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. All right, let's just do a little bit of overview. I don't know how much of this we're going to be able to develop this morning. One of the first things, one of the first things that we see here is that he didn't ask her for food first. He asked her for a cup of water first. I believe that if she had said no to the water, he would have never asked her for a cake. Okay? And what we're seeing here is how Father operates in our lives. He's not going to ask you first thing out of being born again, you know, just got saved 10 minutes ago, to go do something that you're not mature enough or ready to do. But he's going to ask you to do something that's going to require some effort and some faith on your part. It's going to require you to stretch a little bit and get a little bit outside of your comfort zone. Remember what John Maxwell said, everything you want and don't have right now is outside of your comfort zone. And so he's going to try, he, he's going to start with these baby steps, right? And then once you take the baby step, then he has a next step for you and a next step for you and a next step for you. And this is how we grow up into Jesus in all things. So he asked her for, for her to get him and bring to him a drink of water in a cup. There's some, it, notice, I, I know what's the house which you get the water to him, but he's being specific. And, and, and that's the other thing we have to pay attention to. When God begins to speak to us, he speaks to us in specifics. Remember, it's not just doing God's thing, but it's doing God's thing God's way. He's trying to see how much he can trust you at this level of your maturity, right? And how much you'll pay attention to exactly what he said and how closely you will follow those instructions. So she said... As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread. Well, she's like, I'm not lying. I imagine there was a lot of people you, in those days you could have said, hey, you give me some bread. It's kind of like, have you, have you seen like honest businesses, they'll put no public restroom. Well, what they saying? We got a restroom, but you ain't using it, Jack. You know what I'm saying? You know, sometimes you just put no restroom. We all know these people don't sit here all day with no restroom. There's a restroom somewhere in this building, right? So they're just saying no public restroom. So there's a lot of people, hey, you know, I need some bread. We ain't got no bread. What they're literally saying is, we ain't got no bread for you. We got some bread for our folks, but we ain't got no. So she's like, no, as the Lord God lives, I do not have any bread. When I tell you I don't have any, I'm not just saying that. I really do not have any. Remember, there can be no honor without honesty. Anybody remember that? There can be no honor without honesty. I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Pretty dire straits here, right? And Elijah said to her, ma'am, I'm sorry, I didn't realize what I was asking. You go eat your cake and die. Is that what he said? 
No, it says, do not fear. Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day of the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. So notice now, what, what's not specifically stated here, but absolutely implied, is faith. Which way was she leaning? She was leaning in, right? If she could have very easily stepped back and said, look, I don't know who you think you are coming up in here. I even heard you've got something to do with this drought. <laughs> right? You know what I'm saying? I don't know who you are coming up in here asking me for my last piece of bread, taking it out of my... No, see, she's leaning in. She, no, what does that mean? It means she's asking God. She's, she's asking Him for some way out of this. Lord, I need your help. Well, it's no coincidence that, you know, fixing to make her last cake and die, and the Lord's prophet walks up to her property. She didn't say, what are you doing here? Right? She didn't say, who are you, stranger, coming to me? No, she's like, so when, when he says, as the Lord God says, right? She went her way and did according to the word of Elijah. But it wasn't just the word of Elijah, it was the word of God, right? And she and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. Amen. Stand with me this morning, praise God. What's the point? There's a lot of points here. We'll make them next week. But the first one I want you to see is this. God's provision came through a door of honor. Are you seeing this? His provision came through a door of honor. Or we could say it another way. Honor for God opened the door and made it possible for God to intervene in this widow's situation and provide for and supernaturally sustain her and her household during this dire famine. Amen? Amen? Now, some of the things we're going to get into next week, just I'm telling you not so you'll stay away, but just so you'll come prepared, right? Um, <clears throat> honor is about putting God first. And see, there's a lot of folks who think God is honored by making the top ten list in their life. Listen to me now. You've got you to hear this from the heart of God, not, not even from me, just right. Anything less than first, as far as God is concerned, is an insult. So when he says, make me a cake first, But see, honor will always put God first. Amen. Amen. We're going to get into that some next week. Let's pray. Father, oh, Lord, thank you for what you're teaching us, what you're showing us, Lord, about the importance of honor and honor opening a door for you to intervene in our lives. 
Father, thank you that giving you place is just as important in the New Testament as it was in the Old Testament. Honoring you with our substance, Lord, is just as important in the New Testament as it was in the Old Testament. And Father, I thank you that you are teaching us these things. Lord, that you are revealing truth to us in our inward parts by the Holy Spirit and strengthening us, Father, with the strength of God according to the power that works in us. And Lord, I thank you that that we uh, are not afraid of what's going on in the world around us. We do not fear, uh, Lord, even if inflation was to go higher than it is right now. Because, Father, this world's economy is not our source. You are our source. And, Father, you will provide for those who honor you. You will honor those who honor you with provision and increase, Father, even in the midst of economic downturn. You've proved it to us time and time again. And so, Lord, I thank you for teaching us the importance of faith, but, Lord, also teaching us the importance of honor, Lord, so that our faith can work to its fullest. Lord, as we go our separate ways, we thank you for your promise to never leave us nor forsake us. And, Father, as we go forth into a new week ahead, I thank you that we go forth into this week ahead expecting more than we can produce on our own. Father, we're expecting things to work in our favor this week. We're expecting... Uh, blessings. We're expecting your power to manifest in and through our lives this week, Father. We're expecting miracles in, in our situations this week for doors to open that no man can open. And Lord, even doors that need to close in our lives, Lord, for those doors being closed. Uh, because, Father, we, are, uh, we have been made righteous by the blood of Jesus, and you said the steps of a righteous man are ordered by you. I thank you that you order our steps this week. We expect Father, our steps to be ordered this week. We expect, Father, your Holy Spirit to lead us into our wealthy place this week. We expect peace and joy in our hearts and minds. We expect peace and joy in our homes and in our families, Lord, in our marriages, Lord, this week. We, we expect your favor, Lord, to, to be all around us, Lord, because of what Jesus has done for us and because of whose we are and, and, and who lives in us. And so, Father, we, we thank you just for your goodness and your mercy and your love and your compassion. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being here this morning. You're loved if nobody's told you that. I pray that you got something good out of what we talked about today. Put it into practice in your life this week, and we will see you on Wednesday, if not before.